The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Return the Jewels. Also, there's explicit language. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 22 of Return the Jewels. Uh, we appreciate all your support, but we can still grow. So please make sure to like, share, and subscribe uh, and uh, tell all your friends. Um, but I guess that's, uh, I guess that's sharing. Uh, anyways, episode 22, we had a really good one. Uh, my friend Lily Chun is on, you know, she's trained as a journalist, uh, part of DSA as well, which is the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, we had a really good uh, conversation. It got really heady at times and it got kind of light as well. Um, you know, we talked about building confidence. We uh, talked about, you know, the model minority myth, you know, being first generation, uh, otherization, especially when growing up. Uh, in childhood, different boogeymen we create through our uh, rhetorical devices and how people traffic in those kind of things. We talked, uh, we had a tokenizer fetishized bit, bit uh, which is pretty great. She got into it, um, you know, and then I guess in general, you know, we talked about the New York pandemic state of mind and um, it's pretty great. Uh, don't really know what else to say in this intro, you know, you can, um, You'll, you'll see everything in the um, interview itself. So uh, uh, enjoy. You don't have belief in yourself. And that's the lack of confidence unless you take an action to make yourself follow through on something. It's, it's basically just keeping your promises to yourself. That's what builds confidence. Because if you constantly make promises to yourself and you never follow through, you're not, why would you believe you can do anything else? You haven't proven to yourself that you're going to keep your promises to yourself you know what what would a promise to yourself look like or be like like what do you like i mean i tell myself things all the time i lie to myself all the time but i'm aware (laughs) that i lie to myself all the time i I mean just like moving to new york it's a it's something that i really wanted to do for myself and if you consider yourself to be like you know say you're outside of yourself and this is like oh, like your best friend is yourself or whatever. Or, you know, if you want to really go into weird therapy systems, like family therapy systems, like, you know, there's mom Lily and there's like daughter Lily or whatever. There's kid Lily. And then the kid Lily's like, I want to go to New York. And the mom Lily's like, no, you should stay in Houston. It's safer here or whatever. That's confusing. I'm getting drunk. But (laughs) like the whole point is like, you have things you want and it's, necessary to yourself to provide those things for yourself because if you don't no one else is going to do it and it's a way like you keep that promise to yourself you know like it's like you tell your mom i want this and your mom's like okay we'll go do it or something yeah just go do it go make it happen for yourself if you want it um so we were having a good long conversation 
Uh, usually I do that before the episodes and prep, but I did happen to press record while we were having that part of the thing, which you notice how my like little performative, wait, wait, so, and then my sum up, and the, that was actually the start of the recording. Oh. <laughs> so the recording has started, and okay. um, but that just, I did get the very, I think the tail end of the good point that you're making about confidence and self-determinism and but now we have started and I want to say uh, today uh, our episode I have a very special guest my friend of I think a couple of years three four years now my friend Lily Chun we have a we have I guess a gaggle of mutual friends and all of that and um, so yeah I asked Lily to be on we have some like very cool, interesting things to talk about. And um, I mean, I don't know if you've, she's not used to doing appearances on things like this. So we're gonna. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would you actually be mad if I went and made myself another martini real quick? <laughs> I would love if you did that. Okay. I'm actually, I'm gonna pause the recording so it doesn't okay. affect the editing. That sounds good. I'll be right back. All right, cool. Wait, wait, what? What's the definition of a martini? It has like vermouth in it and um, usually some like orange bitters. But nowadays people make or request their martinis to just be like straight spirit, like gin or vodka. And that's not really a martini. It's just like a spirit ordered up, up meaning like in a coupe. But, um, you know, that's fine. Whatever. I guess. I understood most of those words. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm just telling you, I'm not really drinking a martini here. It's just like. Can you tell us why or how you know all this specific jargon? <laughs> um, I guess, you know, I bartended or whatever for a little bit. So. Okay. Yeah. So we were. We had just started the interview. Uh, Lily had uh, Lily took a second to um, make a martini. Well, I took that second to gorge my face in a leftover calzone. Excuse me. Oh, that felt so good. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Lily, a friend, raised, uh, the reason I had her on here today. Excuse me is, uh, you know, I wanted to, this is a kind of like a less formal conversation. You know, we're, we're familiar with each other uh, because, you know, we have such close mutual friends and we have, I wouldn't say a lot of similar experiences growing up, but we do have a common element. And that's, you know, growing up as a person of color in a very white environment, and like kind of like a um especially in secondary education the uh the culture around that and then just like the um the intangible forces that uh influence your behavior and then years later coming out of those kind of environments uh in our cases yours and mine specifically we're both in new york uh coming out of those environments, you start to look back retroactively and then think about the different influences you may have had that may not have been 
motivated from the right uh, intentions. Right? No? What What are you... That too oh. abstract? That's way <laughs> too abstract. Okay. No, 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 no. I mean, kind of, but like... I mean, I, I don't know if I consider my high school and my college experiences to be like that like um white (laughs) i mean but kind of you know like yeah kind of like having to find your identity in a world that you know really places like a premium on like white identity is definitely weird because when you kind of are taught that like a certain thing is like a default and that you are not the default it's it definitely makes you pause for a second because you're like oh am i the other then you know there's this whole like you know there's this whole thing about uh like minorities become like the other and you know by not having our experiences like front and center like having them pushed to the side all the time we're like constantly like not feeling we're feeling like our stories aren't important you know or that we don't matter as much and that kind of fucks you up a little bit whether you think it does or not yeah i I would agree i think the first uh the first step in finding out or uh becoming aware that you are the other in spaces like that (laughs) is uh spending a lot of years trying to be a good one of the others Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Being the model minority, you know, but like, honestly, pause. Okay. Can you tell us what is a model minority? What is the model minority myth? Because I know that a lot of people see that term. And uh, actually, okay, is this fucked up that I have? Okay. I have it mentioned any of your qualifications or anything up top on this interview and because <laughs> it, it like like because i want to get out of that um that mindset of like oh my god i have to qualify everyone we talked to and all the stuff but whatever um lily was the editor-in-chief at her high school and college paper she's got a very staunch journal like academic integ- integral whatever she she probably knows a better word for that journalistic background. And so, you know, diving into and delving in these social issues, I don't need to qualify you to have this conversation we're going to have because it's kind of fucked up having that uh, inclination to have to do that. But I wanted to put that out before I have you talk about what model minority means or what the model minority myth means. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the model minority myth is basically just like um, uh, it's just like this myth that um, certain minorities like uh, should be like perfect, like um, like Asian people, for example, it's like um, and it's used against um, it's like kind of like a thing that uh works against like other minorities like people say like oh why aren't other minorities like this like why can't black people do this because asian people like they're really like successful and you know whatever good at math or whatever it's still entrenched in racism because you know 
like, first of all, um, Asian people aren't a monolith. We're not like one way. We're not all, I mean, it feels so like basic to say this now, but we're not all like good at math or successful or whatever. We're like the thing is, a whole bunch basic, of people. It's not basic to say that. Okay, we're recording on January 10th, 2021 currently, right? Yeah. It's not basic to say that because we got people that literally tried to and almost succeeded in assassinating members of Congress because they believe that they are lizard people. So yeah. I don't think it's <laughs> wild or to be assumed basic to say that <laughs> it's like, yo, to say that, to say that there's nuances in Asian cultures is probably mind blowing because I feel like a lot of Americans uh, would be like, oh wait, Asians aren't aliens. Yeah, which is um, kind of stupid, but like, you know, it, it hurts, it hurts minorities and it hurts Asian people. Like that whole idea that, um, you know, like, I don't know, like whatever, these tokens of like, you know, becoming successful or whatever, that's not something that is just like ingrained in Asian culture, you know? Those are, there are specific and individual reasons why people become successful or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, using that as a way to justify like violence and racism against like other minorities, that's what's really fucked up because um, yeah, that's that's a lot of the time what people say in order to like justify uh, being racist to them. And it also dehumanizes Asian people. Like, yep. you know, like I'm not a fucking machine. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Like just, fucking treat me like a human definitely getting a little drunk this is my second no no, that's great and i think i'm strong (laughs) let me give you a uh real world example but in a small uh anecdotal way where people assume you're kind of the authority on things and it's kind of like a given just because you fit into the model minority myth right like a lot of times in spaces just like this fucking podcast. If I speak on academic things, people assume I have a certain gravitas. One being a male, two being like brown. I mean, Indian, but brown in terms of perception, whatever. And then, and uh, three, you know, having a receding hairline. So <laughs> <laughs> I carry, and I don't, uh, I, I, I try, it's hard to become aware of this, but like, I carry this level of authority and influence with the things I say because there's a preconception of, okay, this guy has done the math, (laughs) done the homework. He grew up in a library, right? Which is not the case. I grew up in a gas station. So, (laughs) you know. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, no, no. I mean, that's um, the model minority myth, I think, yeah, that's the myth part of it is the weaponized part of it to uh, dismiss other issues of race or to uh, kind of gut the nuance that may be involved in uh, racial discourse, you know? And so yeah. when, um, so like the model minority, right? They look at these different uh, i guess different populations asians indians they took they look at like overrepresentation in fields like medicine and, and lawyers are like professional fields and all that but you know there's also this other you know there's other aspects that go into it mm-hmm. right so it's like 
it's is it reductive in terms of like media representation right the tiger mom trope the trope of the tiger mom yeah your your thought on this is it reductive or is that expanding the scope of representation to depict like the asian parent as an overbearing tiger mom and not necessarily the mom, even the dad, right? Yeah. The disappointed dad or the tiger mom? Um, I think it's really up to each Asian person to, like, determine whether or not it's, like, a myth that was true to them. Because I think, you know, for me personally, I had, like, tiger parents light, you know? Like, still tiger parents, but... Hmm you know, not the full intense version because I heard some like crazy stories about, you know, really intense tiger parents. But I also think that it's not fair to like say that about all Asian parents. I don't know, just like, why? (laughs) Well, are are you, okay, are you an only child? No, I've got a younger sister who likes to act like she's my older sister. How, How much younger? Like how many years? Two years. Two years. Okay, so I can see that this is not too much of a margin of error to act like your older sister. I can see that because you're close and okay. Um, But you're okay. So you are the eldest child and you set the example for your um, and your parents were not born in the US. Right. Right. And so they emigrated from Korea. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm a complete American idiot. Let's go with this. Okay. Okay. So South Korea and North Korea. When we say Korea, we're talking about South Korea. But what does all of this mean? If you can explain to a complete idiot, a complete American idiot, where like your ethnicity, right? So if if I'm if I'm the annoying preppy white guy that's like, where are you really from? What do you not? What do you answer to that guy? <laughs> but are you sure? I would love to answer to that. No, one. no, I want to do that after the authentic. Answer. Okay, not well, right. no, 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 that's the authentic answer. So I want to do the uh, the actual informational answer and then the authentic okay. answer. <laughs> uh, so well, I think first of all, it really depends, like on. Who's asking the question? Like, yeah. If you're my friend and we've like known each other for more than like a day, yeah, I can tell you. Um, whatever. More if, than a day. It just takes a day, guys. <laughs> on, I'm being nice here. I would prefer if we knew each other for a little longer than that before you ask me that. And here's why. Um, I don't really like when people ask me when they immediately meet me what my ethnicity is, because it's like why do you have to know? Why is that my business? Have you decided something about me like from my ethnicity? It's like, and I'm not just trying to be defensive here. This is like my experience in the past. It's like, I'll have like random people like, you know, be like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I'll tell you a story about that later. But like, yeah, I'll have random people be like, oh, hey, what's your name? Like, where are you from? And I'll be like, I mean, I'm from Houston. They'll be like, no, I mean, like, where are your parents from? And I'm like, um, you know, And then I like sometimes will be vague about it or not answer, but it's just like, 
why is that information necessary to you? Like, so you can decide you know stuff about me or like stereotype me? I kind of have this policy now that <laughs> if someone asks me where I'm from and I don't have some kind of working relationship with them, where they're either my friend or coworker or whatever, then I just kind of say something else. Like I'll make it up. Like one time I told a guy that uh, my parents died in a car crash. <laughs> it was really awkward. Yeah, that, that <laughs> he weird. like left me alone after that. <laughs> you know, I've used to, I've used to have all sorts of wild uh, response to that thing. When, one thing I like doing now um, and it took a while of like living in New York and being able to just like dead eyes contact and stuff. I'm just like, my answer now is uh, why? Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually done that before too, but you know, I've had really weird, cause here's the thing. Cause sometimes, and I've had this happen with men, they'll get very like aggressive to you being like, I'm just asking as if they deserve to know just asking questions about me. i just ask you we're just trying to have a dialogue why are you being such a bitch and i'm right. like yeah fuck you you don't deserve to know anything about me like i had a guy once get mad at me for that just because i lied you to him to and know like I worked what in NASA, it was jennifer but like you know he got mad when you i told him look that like one. a jennifer <laughs> i know right is that no is that what he said oh no he was just <laughs> like because i eventually told him like i'm just kidding my name's not jennifer and I don't work at NASA. And he's like, why would you lie to me? And and then I was like, <laughs> why would you know? Why would you assume you know anything about me just because I told you my name and what you think my job is? Like, you're bothering me. Leave me alone. Like, why would why would I lie to you? Well, actually, in reality, I'm a psychopath that murders people exactly like you. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. You just met me at a bar, man. <laughs> right? You don't even know me. I don't know. I was just not. <laughs> wanting to talk to him <laughs> uh, that's fair that's fair no i get a lot of um i get a lot of people wanting to yeah lead with that kind of thing with like knowing your uh ethnicity or whatever and uh you know or knowing my ethnicity and it's like a lot of times it's more of a when i finally get to indian they're like i knew it <laughs> we had a right. pool going me and randy had a pool going <laughs> it's like dude my ethnicity is not your fucking game like you know i actually one time at the this restaurant that i used to work at there were these like offensive older people that like first of all they were like beckoning me to like come here like this which you should never do to a service person it's so if you're listening right now lily just did the uh index finger curl no, so oh yeah that's the symbol she i thought doing. this was like video was well, it's, it's both we're I, i'm oh. putting it out on the audio platforms as well because it's a you know it's a podcast but we're gonna do other stuff um okay. gotcha I say we but <laughs> yeah yeah so they were like beckoning me to like come here with the little index finger curl thing and i was like Mm, you know like doing the oh wait one second like fake smiling and like my index finger up like oh one second and of course I never went over there because well my coworker also told me beforehand that the table wanted to know what my ethnicity was and and then after that they were like gesturing to me and I was like I'm not gonna wow. tell them yeah so I ignored them because it's like it's really okay, not wait, wait, wait. describe the table oh, oh I don't remember anything else about them I think they were like 
old white people. Well, yeah, I mean, I can tell you that. Yeah, that's all I remember. <laughs> no, I don't so remember you went into like a rage. I'm not really a rage. When you work in the service industry, that kind of thing happens so much. You're literally like I had one guy one time tell me I should go back to where I came from. And he was very gentle and almost sweet about it. And I was like, what the fuck? I think racism just happened to me. <laughs> oh, you didn't even you couldn't even tell, even though it's like so blatant. It was that kind of thing. Well, this happened in Texas, too, where he was very like, yeah, I was about to ask, was this in the South? Yeah. Yeah. And it was like the kind of thing where I walked away. And that's, you know, that's part of the thing people don't realize is like, you know, there's so many different kinds of way racism appears. Like, first of all, there's like the big fat racism where, you know, it's very obvious and people are doing horrible things like, you know, um, writing the n-word on people's houses you know killing people that kind of thing there's also microaggressions which are like small ways of really whittling down like you know your resolve um and then there's also structural racism which is like you know which is like the big thing is like it's it's not just like racism is like this act that like um people do and you like either do a racist thing or you don't, or you are a racist person or you, you're not. It's like, it's actually embedded into our system. So a lot of times- Codified. Right, it's codified into our system. And so a lot of times we're like, sometimes like we don't even think we're contributing to this structural racism, but we are like, you know, especially- uh, I guess it's what is it? It's called like de jour racism and de facto racism is like, the specific policies that are codified that uh, create those disparities and the du jour racism is the like the effects of those policies or the practical implications of those policies if they're not worded in a way such as to be on the face racist. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, like the thing is like all these microaggressions and all these big racist acts like it is of course important to you know punish these acts to make people know that this is not okay but if you only work to resolve those without addressing the bigger problem of structural racism that our system is racist then it's going to keep happening you know like this like i mean yeah yeah this is happening because our system has racism built into it, you know, which is a thing like it's a part of capitalism, you know, like racism is a part of capitalism. So it all kind of comes down to that. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you really if you think about it, right, what is capitalism other than a system that is really reliant on labor uh and so like you know if you can kind of dehumanize a population and then if you can dehumanize maybe more than one population and then consequently devalue the labor they output like you know in sweatshops or in private prisons or whatever then you can benefit from the labor and shit. You can even create whole markets of middlemen to uh, to to package and redistribute the services garnered from the labor 
that you are probably even subsidized for not mm -hmm. paying. Oh man, yeah, no, it really does run deep. So it's like, of course, mm -hmm. you would benefit from the tools and propaganda tools and mass information tools and, you know, religious tools and deeply embedding in people's personal philosophy tools that would allow you to sow division and stigmatize certain populations and then create policies that do commit atrocities to those populations and no one's going to really speak out for them because they're not going to really view them as human because of all those years and this massive information machine that kind of turns them into less than, you know, like 60% of human or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when there was like slavery, like, slaves only counted as like two-thirds of a person which is like three-fifths three compromise oh yeah sorry that was the incorrect fraction three-fifths of a person that's percent that's fucking really that's so shitty like that's really shitty and like but that was after know? that was in that was put into the constitution and i was like yeah so that was like that was the bill of rights and it's just like i don't i think here's the thing for me it's like people look at everything that we've got going on now like we've got like you know we've got issues of sexism of racism economic inequality we've got global warming we've got i there's so many more but i like can't think of any more right now so anyway let's just you we know there's going on there's so much shit going on um white supremacy it's january 10th um, 2021 we still got kids in cages we still got lead in flint yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. We still got, we um, still got uh, Indonesian slaves in Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah. yeah. This all, it's not, I think people become so discouraged because they look at this and they see we have a thousand problems to solve. And it's like, the thing is, people don't realize that these thousands of problems come from one tree trunk. And that is capitalism capitalism is like the root cause of why we have all these things so instead of viewing it in this way of like we have a thousand small tree branches to like you know that are dead that we have to like you know take care of and fix just consider this as part of a bigger thing because all of these are symptomatic of capitalism like late stage capitalism like how many more times can I say capitalism? <laughs> like, this is... A few more. It's yeah. going to push us up in the algorithm. <laughs> like, this is... These are all stemming from that one cause. And that's why there are so many people out there realizing, like, what the fuck? This is really fucked up. Like, um... So we need to, like, find a way to, like, you know, address that first. But... You know. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, <clears throat> what can you and I do other than have these kind of, well, I guess this is, oh, there goes a the mic. It, this is kind of like my personal philosophy and aim, and I guess how I'm trying to manifest that. But, like, <laughs> what more can you and I do other than having these kind of long-form comfortable conversations that are sure 
somewhat performative, but the having these long, comfortable conversations, familiarity, uh, not taking white fragility as a given, you know, it's not really motivating the things that we talk about between each other. Right. And then having these kind of conversations be broadcasted for, I guess, younger people to kind of see and, and kind of uh, decode whatever um, programming may be in there, which is why, you know, like conversations like this would focus on retroactively viewing different, different types of programming that we've undergone or things that we recognize in, you know, in emerging patterns, different generations, different, you know, subgroups and different populations. And so what more um, can we really do, you know, other than create like creating calls to action by bringing people in. But I mean, but then again, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think it's going to require a lot of, things to happen like I don't think that talking to people one-on-one -on -one, especially in like friendly ways like I don't think that it's useless to do that I think that is how a lot of like people like kind of realize what's going on like I was just talking to a friend about this earlier today but like the moment I and we say this sometimes like you know and the left but like you know, became like radicalized to like more socialist policies. I was like, I mean, it wasn't like the moment, but like the seeds of this were planted when I was like young, when I was like 14 or whatever. Went to my local Barnes and Noble. I saw some books that the staff recommended. There was a, a book called Nickel and Dimed by Barbara Ehrenreich, who is like, you know, honorary DSA member and DSA stands for Democratic Socialists of America, but she's an honorary DSA member. The book was about how people who are working everyday jobs, working two jobs just to survive, um, like what their lives were like for them and how it was all really fucked up and unjust. And, um, you know, I remember that book being like a really like, I was like, oh shit. Like, I was like, oh shit. And then I let it like, didn't think about it for a while after um like it took me a while to get there like I mean I have to admit here like and I am saying this I did vote for a Hillary in 2016 um my journey to become like a that's you know a controversial that's controversial um I don't know like whatever I don't know it doesn't no, I mean the way you the way you disclaimed that was just kind of like okay well, where where is this well okay because from? I mean I guess what I'm saying is like back then in 2016 I really wasn't really thinking that much about stuff I was like oh yeah him, Hillary like Democrat like yeah gonna vote for her it was after that election that I became way more that I became involved in like you know um socialist politics and stuff I really like learned a whole lot and like of course it was like a painful process to learn because um learning is painful I don't think people realize that learning is necessary but learning is painful you got you learn a lot of things you have to unlearn a lot of things and that's how you fucking grow you know um and so yeah it was that and also there was this other book that was uh on the table at Barnes and Noble. It was called like 
something like confessions of an economic hitman or something but like both of them were like very like you know i remember reading them and they planted the seeds of like oh maybe the u.s isn't that great maybe things aren't that okay like you know remember how i told you i grew up kind of sheltered like i think for the first times i was like hmm right i mean you grew up in texas i grew up in mississippi Rugged individualism, yes. Uh, American exceptionalism runs very deep. It goes hand in hand with whitewashing of curriculum. Mm-hmm. That take for granted and don't really work to depro to unlearn, as you said, twelve minutes ago. That yet yeah, to unlearn, which was painful and painful realizations of stuff like that. And then looking back at your curriculum growing up, even though if you grew up with good education, it's not necessarily good education because the environment in which you presented these things, you know, uh, people take things for a given. And we've even seen more and more stories the last four years of different teachers or school administrators, you know, trying to pull some dumb shit, like where they, uh, yeah, where they, like want to argue, like scopes monkey trial stuff, where they want to argue against evolution, or or uh, even now with like the sixteen nineteen project, which is saying it's like, yeah, you know, um, slaves didn't really have as good of a time as you know all the history books are saying, and it's like maybe rethink that. And then, you know, it's become a huge Republican talking point where they're saying, oh, they're trying to teach us terrorist whatever. And it's like, what do you mean terrorist whatever being saying that t- teaching a curriculum that teaches kids that slaves were humans? That's, you know. Yeah, like, like I really think about. I, I think I wrote this down one day when I was kind of high, but like. I really think about like, do people not realize like how fucking horrible it is to like like be in a place like that like I mean just what their experience must have been like really like I think that you know uh ENFP part of me is just like yo what does that mean it's the Myers-Briggs personality test ENFP stands for like empathetic uh, I forgot what the N part stands for. And then the F is feeling, the P is perceptive. It's just like what kind of personality you are. So I'm just saying in this case, the empathetic part of me is just like, what in the fuck? Like I was reading about something and I can't remember what, but I was thinking of like, they were talking about how like Native Americans, they like would skin them alive. Can you imagine like, can you imagine someone bringing a razor to your skin and fucking skinning you alive? Like, that I man's really. His name is Andrew Jackson. Yeah, fuck him. He sucks. <laughs> like, so many of our presidents just suck. Um, but yeah, yeah no, I no, just, no, it's, it's fucking it's horrible. Flaying. It's called flaying. And like, yeah. we t- I, I took like this classic literature, whatever ancient literature class in college. And it was like a big thing in the in the, in Roman and Greek literature and stuff talking about flaying and, and it's just like it's horrible. But to commit an atrocity like that, 
you can't believe your victim is human. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like, and that kind of thinking has still like followed us to this day. Like we are treating, you know, we're treating black Americans like they're not human. Yeah. It's fucking horrible. Like, you know, I mean, just look, okay. Once again, I'll say the day we're recording December, uh, January 10th, 2021, four days ago, we had the storming of the Capitol. Um, Another Capitol officer just died, by the way, committed suicide uh, as a result of, you know, the trauma or, or whatever. I actually didn't read about that yet. Uh, one Capitol officer died as a result of medical complications. You know, uh, four or three, three of the rioters, terrorists, I guess whatever the media is trying to call them or whatever we're trying to call them. I don't know. But, you know, basically a huge group that assembled at the uh, incitement of the president and his people with the intention to assassinate the members of the legislative branch of government, one of the three. So it really, it's, it's, it was a, an incited attack from the executive branch on the legislative branch. And uh, like, if you really think about that, and it's like with the intention of eliminating the whole line of succession. I mean, we knew that Trump was like trying to like, he was like definitely on his way to becoming a dictator. And you know what? I don't want to say he's not, you know, I mean, I don't I know. Mean, if don't fascism know. won, if fascism won, DSA would have to uh, stand for don't speak in America. <laughs> I mean, ah, here's the thing is like, you know, a lot of political scientists are saying now that like, um, you know, after a, an attempted coup, usually what follows is a successful coup. So that's something that we really have to, you know, look out for and like, yeah, you but know? I mean, you could always argue that the coup happened a long time ago when you look at like regulatory and private capture of different functions of government and, you know, something like Citizens United, you know, that was kind of a coup because it was a, a seizure of control of the levers of, of government, you know, for different, for interests, yeah. the interests that they're codified for, <laughs> um, but, you know, and then you also look at... Uh, shit you look at the useful idiots right you know if 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 politics really is a a conflict between collective bargaining for finite resources then you're going to have to have the higher uh you're going to have to the only way you can wield any sort of influence or uh, garner more of those more of the resources out of that finite pool is to have a higher contingent of people in your collective bargaining and so easy as and if if there's such a thing as the opiate of the masses or whatever which is like religion and i guess fascism now too uh religion and racism opiate of the masses 
right? And you use those kind of things to dehumanize other populations, then of course you can have a higher bargaining chip. And of course, why wouldn't you want to tribalize the people that you see in in all of these uh, positions of influence? And of course, why wouldn't you want to create a boogeyman that's like with a name like Antifa, <laughs> which actually like means anti-fascism? Right, like anti- <laughs> You know what? Like these organizations should really just like instead. Oh, yeah. like What's the anti- deal with that? Anti-fascist? Like, are you serious? Like so, people okay. who don't want fascism? It's ridiculous. So, Lily, you yeah. have academically gone through the rungs of intense journalism stuff, right? Whatever, and you are aware. Mean- you are aware of what uh, journalistic ethics. And all this stuff, and you know the what it was like the Free Fair Use Act or something. What was the thing in television or whatever that made it to where uh, like journalistic standards have to be neutral, and then that was kind of gutted or something. But what is up with with pulling the punches? Is it just that there's too much legal liability for saying things that may you know, or what? Like, what's the deal with that? What's the deal with these news headlines constantly pulling punches, not really saying, uh, oh, you know, anti-fascist forces. Instead, they say Antifa. I think that you're asking really good questions, by the way, and you should keep asking them. Um, (laughs) I appreciate them. Um, I feel like I haven't been asked these things in a while. Um, That's a fucking great question and something that I wonder all the time because, you know, as someone who has done journalism for a long time, has, you know, is familiar with what the whole point is and everything, like the whole point of journalism is like, you know, to report on everything going on. You're like literally just supposed to be the eyes for the people. However, um, you know, and sometimes with opinion columns also like, you know, here's our analysis of whatever. But anyway, um, being objective is a huge thing in American journalism and, um, you know, journalism in general. And I think objectivity is very important. I think, though, that now it's kind of being tied into this weird thing of, like, centrism. <laughs> like, I, I, I think that we have somehow, like, journalism has, like, kind of um, misunderstood that in order to be objective, you have to be centrist because there's a saying in journalism that there's always like both sides of the story, you know, like there's like, you know, what one guy says and the other guy, but, um, it's actually like so easy to manipulate that because I think one thing is that, um, with, uh, especially with our politics now, we look at one side as being the Republicans and the other side as being the Democrats. But um, it's actually, it's like not a correct like binary that we're pairing here because it's actually Republicans and Democrats. Like if you look at this through the lens of capitalism, which I think a lot of journalists just haven't really done yet because they're kind of entrenched in like the old ways of looking at things. Like, Republicans and Democrats are actually both a part of a more like, you know, 
corporate capitalist structure, like they're both pretty much on the conservative side now. Like, and so when you make them the ends of the spectrum, of course, you're going to say that center is in the middle of them. And at that point, all three, like Republicans, Democrats, and what you think is in the middle of them, they're all on the conservative side. Like they have been pushed more and more to the right. And then you have like, you know. Artificial competition. Um, I don't know what you mean by that, but. Well, I mean, it's it's like a thing. It's like a thing if you're creating a market, right? If you're a company creating a market, you know, you create artificial competition and you vertically integrate or whatever to control the competition. And then you got, boom, two streams mm-hmm. of revenue that are competing with each other. And they're not necessarily driving down the prices because you control the supply of the prices. Right. You know, you <laughs> kind of set the you set the market and you build the hype. You know? Yeah. OK. No, that makes sense. Like to recognize that they are the same animal is like pretty important because um right but you also have to be wary of the false equivalents right it's not necessarily that they're both conservative because there also is a huge faction that's gaining a lot of uh uh, power and influence it's not really conservative it's actually kind of radical the fascism stuff right and to say that that is the same as conserving the status quo is it necessarily the that can also that nuance can also be overlooked in the discussions about there being the equivalence right and so that nuance can also that lack of that nuance can be weaponized against nuanced discussions about like what is the best option right it allows us to be infinitely reductive like as we remember in our fresh memory about the election period we can be infinitely reductive about any argument saying why joe biden would be a better pick than than trump Right. We can be infinitely reductive about any argument. It's like why Hillary would be a better pick than Trump. These are our alternatives. Right. By saying they're both the same, you got to make those mental justifications to say that they're both the same. Right. And then it's it's obviously that those thoughts and those arguments serve one specific side of that spectrum. Okay, I think. I think that I was following what you're saying. If not, please correct me. But I think that, yeah, it is a false equivalency in some sense. But um, like you can you can recognize that they're not exactly the same. Like perhaps that wasn't the right way to put it. They're not. Of course, no, no, they're I'm not just the- I'm just pushing back a little bit. I want yeah, you to. No, no, no. Yeah. It's good. I I appreciate this. Um, I think that like. Yeah, of course, they're not exactly the same. However, you can recognize that both are complicit aspects of what it takes to uphold, you know, a structure that, and by the way, if people don't know, like what capitalism does, maybe they should know, but like, so according to Karl Marx, like capitalism is an economic system where um, basically you have like a small group of people that make money off of a larger group of people um yeah like everybody else and they earn their wealth they earn their money by paying them less and so whenever we see things now about how all these rich people became millionaires or earned their money it's not because they put hard work into it and that's the myth that we've been fed to believe but it's really literally that they're just paying us less money and that's how we 
that's how they become rich and um right it's easier to pay it's easier to pay more people less money and program ways for them to believe that they're not getting paid less exactly and that's why whenever i see people complain about things like taxes are too high now it's kind of like you're complaining about taxes being like this big right like this is the amount of taxes you're paying this is the amount of money you're making this is the amount of money you should be making so what you really should be mad about is not how much taxes you're paying but how much money your boss isn't paying you because it's so much more than you should be paying than you're paying in taxes like that's the whole thing for me and like you know according to like marx's economic theory like you move through different economic periods. Like first we had like, and might need to fact check me on this because I'm not like 100% sure I have this right. One of our 10 viewers will fact check. Well, okay, oh, great. never mind, they won't. Okay, <laughs> I might fact check myself after this so you can edit me. <laughs> I'm not doing the extra right? to edit any of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to like- I'm going to send this up. to you though before so you can look. Okay. And so if yeah. you see any beeps or whatever, those are at Lily's discretion. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, because I don't want to be like totally wrong here, but like there is barbarism, right? Which is just mm-hmm. fucking- people doing whatever the fuck they want um there's no rules and everything is chaos that's uh, state of man yeah well i disagree with that but that's okay we can get into that then there's slavery right where um you have one person that like owns other people right so that was an economic system out of slavery developed feudalism which is like lords and serfs right so now you have like people that kind of like work for the man um but it's kind of a little bit like slavery but it's also not exactly like that and then from feudalism you develop capitalism right and then after capitalism is supposed to be socialism and then communism okay is this the natural state cycle of development or is this just looking at our history or history of humans because like right going from like feudalism to capitalism you have something like the industrial revolution and yeah things like that but like is that a natural occurrence and something like in this cycle is this cycle a natural thing that would happen like let's say on mars if intelligent life were to develop and form societies and whatever would this be a natural cycle to to you know work in their society is what i'm asking so according to karl marx's economic (laughs) theory that is what would happen right okay like his theory is that um society goes through all these phases again gonna want to fact check all of this i will want to anyway like i like i'm (laughs) i'm like 90 percent sure i have this right but i haven't really like you know gone on air to be like blah socialism um but anyway so according to him that is um what happens and under capitalism pretty much what what he's saying is that people would rather have fascism than have socialism and look at what we're seeing now we have trump why Why? why would they rather why would they rather? That's the why I'm asking. Yeah, why would yeah. they rather? 
that these are all good questions that are really hard to answer, but I still appreciate No, take a crack at it. That's, I mean, no, that's, yeah. there's no, no pressure here. It. You know, there's no pressure here. The, I said 10 people might watch this, but it's probably going to be close to like six. So, no, no, it's good. It's good. Um, okay. Why would we have fascism instead of why socialism? Why would we prefer? as people why would we prefer fascism over socialism and you don't have, you don't even really have to give me specifics because we have all lived the last four years yeah yeah it's kind of like because um with fascism you don't have our economic system changing you have you know you have the same people that are like in power and they're like telling people like oh i can like you know make you rich or whatever like you just have to listen right? to me yeah. It's a kleptocracy. Like, um, or like an oligarchy, but it's controlled by yeah. families. Yeah, yeah. And with socialism, like the whole idea of socialism is that like, and, and the funny thing about it is like everything that people complain about socialism, they're like, oh, these are bad things. It's actually a lot of the time capitalism <laughs> like what they're complaining about is capitalism and what, what do you mean like they complain about like oh like i can't believe i'm getting paid like you know this amount of money or like i can't think of exact examples i don't have a like right. good example for this but like you know a lot of the times like um i feel like uh yeah like i'm trying to think of a specific example here but it probably it, it probably has to do with individual in and out, right? Incoming versus outgoing. And it's just like looking at it in at an individual mindset, right? So it's like, why can't we have free health care or assume that healthcare is a right? Well, because I don't want anybody that's not paying as much as I am to have the same thing that I have. You know, hi, I have yeah. because I have to look yeah, at yeah. if I were to step back and look at it at a societal level, I would see that, oh okay, well, these are the inequities in the system. These are where these prices are hyperinflated. So that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily need to be the case. These are where these services are being uh, middlemaned, right? And repackaged. And it's like, oh, I can go to the bottom man instead of the middleman and get the, why don't we link the consumer to the people that are producers directly instead of having an overinflated system? And it's like, but you don't even think about that because you have to have faith in collective change for something like that and maybe we have faith in collective change when it is led by a strong man authoritarian yeah you couldn't have said it better <laughs> like, i think that's really um yeah sorry by the way um i i think i'm like only like i keep pouring more into my martini glass but like, <laughs> pretty drunk this is like i'm like two drinks in of like two pretty stiff drinks no this is and like so, okay so but I, this is great i'm having a great time my is, brain being exercised we are in a pandemic in quarantine yeah. so this is like uh think of this if you're watching or listening as like a nice virtual alternative for having gone out by yourself to some random bar and overhearing <laughs> two really fucked up friends 
talking in the corner about all sorts of wild shit and not really sticking to the coherent outline. Like, one of them. Have is. you ever wanted to see a Facebook argument happen in real life? Tune in to Love Agarwal's podcast. <laughs> no, that should be our logline. <laughs> this is what Facebook threads and. <laughs> That's what it honestly. It's it's a little bit like that, like definitely less uh vitriolic like way more intelligent but like you know it has kind of the overtones of like a facebook argument um yeah but yeah we definitely i definitely don't substantiate my shit with reason um what were you you what were you asking me before about uh um like why we prefer oh. fascism over socialism? Fasc- yeah. Why do we prefer fascism over socialism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a good question I and like one that I need to look into more before answering you. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I I don't actually know why because I think it's kind of wild, right? Why people would? But we have seen it play out. We've seen, and we're literally, once again, January 10th, 2021, four days ago. Now we were seeing in the main conversation here, we're seeing how uh, the big terrorist attack at the Capitol, where people are waving the Trump, Trump flags and are actually like documented Trump supporters, as you see him at all his rallies and stuff, and, and like have, have whole fan clubs that they've been running and moderating for years. Uh, they're being called Antifa now because people have recognized, right? So it's like you see, and everyone already takes, like they'll take the Kool-Aid, right? And so it's like, that's already a thing. And that is happening. And we see it play out in real time. We see the influence and authority of experts and learned experts and all that stuff be gutted, right? With doubt. Right. Any sort of any inch of plausible deniability is turned into a mile of full fledged denial. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people are very comfortable blowing up the inch of plausible deniability, because if you're like a scientifically inclined person, you're going to always leave room for plausible deniability because like, yeah, well, you know, the theory of gravity is still just a theory. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because you know we 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 put the whole scientific method on it, and you know it, it, it's not necessarily a law because that there are exceptions in certain circumstances, and there's like relativity where we don't really understand how it functions. So therefore, it is not fully taken for granted. And so, but but these guys have flipped it to where it's like, if there is a slight, if there is an inch of doubt that the blueprints for this pizza parlor are different then of course there's a sex dungeon and if there's a sex dungeon in there of course they're trafficking children right and they're like that has to be a given these people are murderers right the earth is flat but then it's like then you have the world of experts and scientists like well we got to make sure that our articles are peer-reviewed meaning that it's got to be reviewed and just like how you're saying we're gonna we got to fact check this <laughs> infected no nobody gives a shit it's just verbal diarrhea over and over this is soothing to you for i don't know what reason 
You know, you have 73 million people that needed to be told that they're loved and very special. But for four years, right, you spend like you got to tell you, you spend trafficking in toxic masculinity and saying that, oh, you're just a snowflake. You oh, you need you think you need to be special. And it's like you literally have this dude, the strongman authoritarian pacifying you, placating you, telling you you're very special, telling you you're very smart. Any challenge that comes to him, he's like, don't tell me I'm not smart. I'm smarter than you. I'm the smartest there is. You're the least smartest person in the room. I'm the most smartest, right? Like that's the level of discourse. So I don't really know exactly. I've been trying to figure out why things are the way they are. Like what happened? Um, I haven't really done enough research about it though to like, and by enough- that level of doubt. Right, yeah. that level well, of doubt. Like, I haven't done enough I research think- about it, so I can't talk about it. But you are literally, you are a smart person that has been educated, that is perceptive, that is seeing all this shit unfold in real time, and just naturally having that little bit of hesitancy to make an authoritative conclusion or a conclusive opinion about something mm-hmm. has to speak to something. I mean, that inclination. I mean, I think me being educated and stuff really doesn't have that much to do with it. Like, I mean, I think, you know, personally speaking, I think I kind of went to school and didn't really even realize the privilege of my education until much later and like really didn't learn enough. Um, Not enough, but like as much as I could have. But um, I think that. I think that's something definitely happen to these people to like make them turn into this way um and I think that that thing part of it is just like white supremacy you know it's like when and (laughs) I might want this part to not make it depending on like what I say (laughs) But um, uh, well, there it is. There's the there's our inclination to coddle white fragility and our exactly our our exactly. our like to death fear of You're maybe right. transgression, right? And believing believing the white woman that calls the police on the wow. black man because I don't want her to feel embarrassed. Why is it that? the number one fear for minorities is death, but the number one fear for white people is public speaking, not feeling shame. Why is it that the horror movies that work so well in America or those tense moments have to do with moments about being publicly shamed or ashamed or embarrassed? Whereas where it's like the horror movies in the rest of the world that have to do with like literally losing your life or like giant forces in which human life becomes minuscule and irrelevant dude you bring up a good point and like i don't think i realized that until you said that but like yeah i am like kind of like i it don't took a lot of alone time to think of those people. things <laughs> yeah no but for real like i think that um shit what were we saying <laughs> Okay, let's do our segment. Let's do our segment. Let's do our segment. Our segment, okay. Our segment is called 
tokenized or fetishized. Okay. Now, I think I think I told this to you before or prepped you for this in our earlier call, but uh, I don't remember if I did. But what I'm no, don't don't even worry about it. What I'm going to ask you, and I'm sure you got one on deck. Give me a story or something from your history, your experience, your life, whatever, in which you're either tokenized or fetishized and then explain to us why one or the other and what that means or maybe maybe they're not mutually exclusive okay yeah um i'll do my best i don't really know that much the difference between but i think maybe kind of um so i guess the story that comes to mind for me is um this time i was at a bar and i was just like hanging out with my friends and some random guy comes up to me and he's like oh hey what's your name kind of thing and i was like uh i don't want to talk to this foo you know whatever well no he didn't ask me what my name was i'm sorry he was just like hey like oh you're cute like where are you from that kind of thing and i was like yeah he asked me where i was from and i was like okay first like, of all austin, you texas, interrupted me. i'm guessing austin texas i mean I actually didn't even say that because first of all, he. No, no, I'm asking. Did this take place in Austin or did this? Oh take no, place in this Brooklyn? happened in New York City. This okay, happened... this happened in New York City. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, continue. Um, continue. I just wanted I to establish actually... setting. Yeah, no, I'm trying to remember the exact specifics of this because I kind of forgot. But he kind of like he came up to me and he was like talking to me and he was like, "Oh, like um, you know." where are you from and i was like oh uh i don't really know like my parents died in a car crash and he was like oh oh i'm so sorry and i was like yeah i, <laughs> I was just like yeah just so sad and he was just like oh yeah i just wanted to like you know come over here to like speak a different language with so with someone and i was just like i'm really sorry i don't know a different language you know and he was like okay well yeah wait no. wait 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 he said i just wanted to come over here and speak a different language with someone yeah so, so did i get that right okay good yeah. you <laughs> hey, so, yeah. hey, so no, I just wanted I'm to come over here and speak a different language with someone. I was like, bitch, I'm from here. Like, I don't speak whatever language you want. Do you want to speak French? We can speak French. You know, like, I don't speak whatever you think I speak. Or maybe I do, but it's not your business. Anyway, so I, you know, I said that. And then he was just like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, whatever. And like, oh, what's your name? And I told him my name was Jennifer. <laughs> and I let him go so none of that interaction like yeah i lied to him the entire interaction because i don't think i owe him the truth i had someone no tell me that they think the social contract is that you should tell people the truth but they're a white person i disagree i don't think i, I owe think, people the truth i think the social contract I, I think the social contract for minorities that have very obvious uh faces is uh just an implied no solicitor sign. Thank you. Yes, that's how I feel. I'm just right? kind of like, well, 
here's the thing also is like I was doing something and you came and interrupted me like are we not gonna talk about the amount of times that like I'm doing something this happens for minorities as well as women and especially if you're a minority woman but like you're doing something and a man comes up to you and he's like excuse me ma'am and I'm like oh cool I wasn't just solving how to figure out cancer and cure it thanks for interrupting me you know and then i have or to we were, i was just talking about sex in the city with my friends let's keep it real <laughs> <laughs> shut up no i wasn't <laughs> yeah no but i was just like okay cool this guy's gonna fucking interrupt me yeah, yeah. you know and i was just like anyway um before we talk about tokenized or right. fetishized, i need to pee really bad just i've been bringing this okay so yeah we just had to pause for a second uh Mm -hmm. but we were at the uh, (laughs) tokenizer fetishized story you told us about this guy asked you he just this was in new york so it's not some like bumfuck texas thing but he's like i just wanted to speak another language and that's how it's and so tokenized or fetishized explain what happened to you were you fetishized or were you tokenized or what's the difference? Is there a difference? I don't really know if there's a difference, but like I feel like tokenized is probably just being like stereotyped and fetishized is like stereotype plus like a sexual aspect to it. Um, I feel like because he was hitting on me at a bar and he was like trying to get my number fetishized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, I want to hear another accent. Right. Uh, yeah, I was You're just exotic. like, I was like, ma'am, fuck you. I'm not like a sex toy. Like, fuck off. Like, I guess if you were tokenized in that situation, it would be like, hey, I speak Japanese. Can you speak Japanese with me? <laughs> Even though I, I know personally, yeah. I know you're not Japanese. I'm saying that's right, like, right. <laughs> that would be the thing. <laughs> yeah, I think when you're tokenized, it's more like, oh, you're, um, your ethnicity is being used in a way to, um, I don't know, justify something like, oh, like I'm like, say I'm Japanese, like, oh, I'm Japanese and Japanese people like black. And it's like, oh, thank you for like, you know, being used in my joke or whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 So you this were my third martini. I'm like pretty drunk. <laughs> Like I said, this is like a proxy night for anybody listening. And this show would go, this episode should go viral just for like, think of it as like ASMR at a, at a rowdy, not really upscale bar somewhere in Manhattan, but kind of like a dive bar in Manhattan, but still charges $20 a beer. So think of it like that. And then these are the two, uh, this is two friends in a corner who are in their 30s and just kind of uh, exchanging a whole bunch of platitudes with each other very drunkenly. And this is your proxy experience for that, this episode. We are more than just drunk friends in our 30s. We are... I'm underselling it. You're right. This is a great conversation. I'm totally we're, yeah, we're having a great conversation. <laughs> we're drunk friends in our 30s on a podcast. <laughs> um, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, Are you drunk? 
I'm drunk. I no, no, I'm drunk. not. I'm not. I was just, we're just, you know, we're just gonna, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. But one thing I did want to, I guess the last kind of thing we could talk about on this is moving to New York. You and I both moved around 30-ish, right? And so that's a little later, not later in life, but not at the beginning of adulthood. Okay. Early on in adulthood. So we came to New York with possibly different intentions that someone would come here like after college or after high school or something to find their life, right? We came in with a different kind of energy. And so I was talking about how that kind of energy of being able to just like view other people around us as peers, because, you know, we all have our own life experiences and uh, you know, you don't need to have like these preconceptions about what other people do. Cause when you live up here, you just see people as regular and working, you know, some people make a lot more money than others because they just have uh, jobs that pay them a lot more, but you know, they'll probably also have a lot of other responsibilities and they don't get to be as happy. You know, there's always whatever, there's always a other side to things. So, but coming to New York, you and I both came here in our thirties ish height of, I came here right after the election from Mississippi. I came here on Christmas day of 2016. Cause that was the cheapest ticket uh, flight I could get. And uh, you know, this was in Mississippi right after Trump won. So it was just kind of becoming a toxic environment for me. And I didn't have growth potential. And, you know, I just kind of wanted to chill out and live and see. And um, you know, so I haven't really had much of a strategy to life. And I feel like the four years of being here, has just kind of been like, um, you know, not really pushing forward or living that New York life, right? And you moved here in 2019 before the pandemic. You put in a like almost a year here. And, yeah. And then pandemic hits and you don't leave. So you are literally here during a momentous historic occasion in New York life that defines a moment in most people's lives that are here. Like what was the experience like in New York when you're here during the pandemic and you're here for that, but you're new. You're still um, new. Like you're still like only a year here. So you still like all the idiosyncrasies of New York living. You still haven't absorbed. I still haven't absorbed. Right. So um, still new. And yeah. then the pandemic hits and you're living here during the pandemic. So what I wanted to do on this episode, and I know we've had a really long episode so far, so this is kind of the last thing, is I wanted you to kind of talk about your mentality throughout the pandemic, right? You're new coming up March, April, you're a new New Yorker, you don't understand what's going on, uh, you're just working and living, you're trying to make friends, you probably made a couple of friends, you know, you're making connections, you're just figuring out things right and then the thing hits you're quarantined and now we're like 10 months later so like what is kind of the thought process there because because i want to take that to where we were talking about earlier uh, i think it was off camera but we were talking about how 
it's crazy to live here. We've always thought about living here, but you and I both came up here and during political turmoil. And so we didn't really get that kind of life to kind of stretch out and explore and be whimsical about things. It's really just about coming up here and trying to find a, create a nest egg or like not even be able to create a nest egg, but just like latch on, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. tell me about the thought process during the pandemic and like, should I stay in New York? What's the point of even coming up here? Did I fuck up? Or I did the right thing by moving here? Um, these are great questions, by the way. Um, I think that when, I mean, when I moved here, it was basically me fulfilling this promise to myself of over 16 years that I wanted to move here. And so it was just kind of like, I had a good friend who like, basically, she didn't like necessarily force my hand, but she was like, I don't want to have this conversation with you in 10 years when you have a kid and you're like telling me you wish you moved here. And I was like, oh, fuck, you're right. Um, But, you know, I think that moving here and then living through this pandemic, it was a good thing. Like, I mean, we're coming up on one year the one year anniversary of like lockdown starting and that part is insane to me because i'm just like what oh my god we've been almost a year in lockdown it's insane that's right the day before lockdown was a very vivid memory for me too because i was doing a gig just as normal you were what i was doing a gig like photo okay 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 yeah Yeah. just like as normal a normal day and then it's like it's like oh yeah you know what uh, yeah i'll just uh, go to right a to get the things i need i'm sure yeah <laughs> my birthday was a few days before lockdown officially hit so that was weird because yeah. i invited a few friends to hang out and a lot of friends canceled and i was like okay whatever and then i within that weekend i got laid off from my job both jobs oh. mind you both jobs um and all of this shit started happening and i was like oh shit this is a real big thing because i'm not gonna lie i was busy working two jobs up until that point i didn't realize the severity of what was going on and i was like oh fuck i even told a cab driver i was like don't worry about it it's not a big deal i hope that cab driver is okay i think about him all the time um but yeah i will say I think that me being in lockdown during this time and not leaving New York, I think in my position, like I thought about it and like, I think that for me, it's been okay because I've been wanting to leave my hometown, Houston, for so long now. And um, it's been good for me to have this time to like really think about what I want. Like, I haven't been working, you know, like, what's the point like my old jobs like one of my old jobs I found out they closed for a second time because um people were not obeying the mask policy and I fucking knew that was gonna happen that's why I didn't apply because I was like what's the what's the point in applying for this job because I know that guests are gonna like this isn't my first rodeo I know that people are gonna spit in my drink and be like Miss, you didn't make this cocktail right. And I was like, I'm not doing that. This is the only time in my life where people won't look down on me for like 
you know, taking this time to not be employed because they understand it's a pandemic. And I was like, you know, as much as I hate the fact that I think about these things, you know, I don't want to say Asian. So I think about this. It's not just that I'm sure, but um, I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to take this time to really think about what I want and really just try to like work towards that. So, you know, I've been taking classes for other stuff to try to switch careers because, um, you know, for me, service was never the end point. Um, I think service was such a great job moving here because like Mm -hmm. I made really quick friends. Um, and if you're in a new city, there's really no better job. It's like, if you don't have any friends, if you don't know people, um, working service is such a great job for that. But I definitely, um, don't want to do that long term and uh now that I'm learning other stuff I'm like really grateful that I've been able to be here and to think about what I want my next move to be and also just like spend a lot of this time like thinking about who I want to be as a person that kind of thing I think it's really important to like really examine yourself every now and then and like kind of look in that mirror and be like is this who I want to be because I think I mean, I honestly, I can't say for everybody else, but I, I know for me, like, I'm like constantly looking in that mirror being like, is this the person that I want to be? Because if not, I want to change this, you know? And you never really got to do that before. You didn't really get the space to do that kind of thing before. I mean, I did in Houston. However, like part of me becoming who I wanted to be was me moving here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, honestly, whether or not there was an objective reason, like good or bad to move here, it doesn't even matter, right? Like, what mattered most to me was that I wanted to do this thing. Good or bad, doesn't matter. I wanted to do this thing. And if I didn't do this thing, I was going to keep doubting myself until I did it. And so I had to do it. And then I had to consider like, you know, other stuff like whether this was good or bad why i did this you know that kind of thing all of these things are important yeah and i mean i think yeah i think they are very important and these kind of i don't know if they call it meditation or whatever but like i think about i think about my habits you know binge eating overconsumption or whatever it stems from I like to say boredom, but I think it's like fear of that, of thinking, right? Of having to think about what is the future? What is moving forward, right? And then getting in this pandemic and being so ill-equipped for it and having to adapt at such a rapid pace is kind of like, okay, maybe I do have to think about what I have been doing and what is the why, right? Why am I easily manipulated to do things that I have been doing or let myself, you know, be convinced of things that I never had thought before in my headstrong mind, right? So it's like, what 
am I, you know, what am I doing now and why? And I still don't know the answer to this. I don't even know what this damn podcast is, right? Or this brand. And so it's like, uh oh, what happened? I have to pee. I'll be right. Okay, back. I'm pausing. <laughs> I think we all should be afforded this. This shouldn't be a luxury to be human and to like have a chance to explore what you're interested in. And yet we're told that it is supposed to be a luxury. You know? Yeah, okay. Kind of. That like pursuing art is a luxury or or doing the thing you're trained to do is a luxury or not compromising is a luxury or i mean just the chance to be human shouldn't be a luxury the chance to be human to figure out what you really enjoy doing like to fulfill your total human potential shouldn't have to be a luxury i know i'm talking in kind of abstract terms here whether that fits economically into fucking policy or whatever, like, honestly, I think it does. You know why? We spend way too much on the military budget. You give a person, like, a fucking one ten-thousandth of that or whatever, they will find a way to survive and be happy and make beautiful art that could possibly change the world. But... you know, I don't want to be too idealistic yeah. here, but like we wait, we do spend way too much on the military budget, you know? Okay, but hear me out. You give people one tenth of that, sure. You give people one tenth? So, or no, no, or one hundred. No, 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 no. Hear me okay. out, hear me out. All right. You give people nothing, they will still adapt, they will still st- survive, they'll still create art. <laughs> you kill people's conditions and disenfranchise them they'll still adapt they'll make better art they'll make culture and then you even disenfranchise them more and it's just like yo they will be so valuable to your enterprise and create culture and create art and do all of this creative labor that you get to profit off of if you don't if you don't give them any of that military budget you give them any of that military budget why would you incentivize them to be you're not incentivizing them to be creative for your own benefit you're empowering them to be creative for their own benefit right so how does that benefit you what are you asking here (laughs) i'm saying i'm saying think about it from an institutional perspective so then your argument as to what it should be right like i'm saying this is the institutional perspective why would i want to give away any of that military budget because then i'm empowering people to their own dreams why would i want to forgive student loans because then i'm unlocking a whole class of highly educated people highly educated creative people who have been struggling for years but know how to build systems and have the experience now and i'm unlocking that whole class to be super entrepreneurial and create a whole new market and economy but i'm not used to that so why would i want to ever empower them when I can spend all this money in the military, right? And let and let all that money be embezzled by my friends. Well, why do you think that? No, I mean I'm asking you. I'm like, well, I'm like, well, I'm no, like, I'm asking you. Why do I think that? I, yeah. yeah, because 
because I think that, uh, you know, there are some people that don't have any empathy that will take whatever shot they can and that will use whatever means necessary to get those things that they want. And even if it's not a specific number or a tangible monetary thing, it's more of like an insatiable hunger and wanting to feed more and more of it. And so I think that it really fits into that institutional uh, perspective, which I think is called like the rational actor model, which is like for a pure profit motive, and uh, which is why they call it the rational actor model in uh, policy science. I don't know, but it's rational, right? Um, but I think that, yeah, lends itself to the institutional mindset that it's like, why? Why would I create a safety net? Why would I say that healthcare is a human right? Why would I want to empower anybody? I know that the more I they let me get away with, I can get away with, and that they will eventually adapt. They'll survive. They'll continue to make art. They'll continue to be entrepreneurial. But I am going to have. I am going to nationalize all the levers of advancement. Okay. Well, let's consider this from a different perspective. Why do we have elected officials in power who are asking things like, why should I not help people who are asking to be helped? Why should I not help people? My, you know, my fucking uh, community, like the people that I'm supposed to represent. Why should I not represent them? It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like your literal job as a representative, as a politician, whatever, is to literally be the voice of these people. Like if your community is saying, I think this, your job is to be like a megaphone being like, oh, I think this. Otherwise, get the fuck out of here. Like get out of power. Like Then my argument would be, they're not paying me as much as these fascists that are also paying my bosses. I mean, if that's what you think, I don't care, whatever, get well, out I mean, of That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot of functions of government and a lot of figures in government are like, it's private capture, you know, like their interests are, their role is to serve their contingency. Right. But that function can be captured by a private interest lobbying or whatever. So it's like, so I'm saying I'm, I'm responding to you from the perspective of, uh, of a rational actor in the position of a politician. Right. So, so when I say to you that, well, yeah, these fascists are lining my pockets and the people in my district are dumb enough to believe whatever I say to them, whatever these fascists are telling me to say. So then what is my incentive for exercising empathy for these people that are dumb enough to vote against their own interests? I think that when that happens, like if you manage to somehow be the elected official of like um a segment of the population who's like just voting the worst things yeah mitch mcconnell or or Rand Paul. Uh, so 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 places in kentucky or yeah. yeah so okay um 
I think it's kind of like, I think the purist would say it's about representing exactly what these people represent. And to be honest, I haven't really thought that much about it yet because I think a part of me really wants to believe that um, you should represent whatever these people, like whatever your, um, uh, what's the word for it? Whatever your like um, group of people. Contingency, right? I guess, yeah. Your, whatever your contingency thinks that no, not it should be. Contingent. I don't think it's either of those. I think it's something else. Let's delete this part of the podcast. <laughs> Alexa, what is the definition of contingent? Contingent means dependent upon something. Yeah, dependent for example. Alexa, what is the definition of contingency? Contingency is usually defined as dependent from chance or on the fulfillment of a condition. Alexa. What does a politician represent? Here's something I found on Mictionary. I have a few definitions for the noun, politician. One engaged in politics, especially an elected or appointed government official. Two, specifically, one who regards elected political office as a career. Three, a politically active or interested person. Four, a sly or ingratiating person. Mm. Oh, that's the last definition she had for politics. But I wasn't asking for the definition for politician. I want to know, Alexa, what is the term for the group a politician represents? Sorry, I don't know that. Yeah, I didn't think she would know that one. Alexa doesn't know anything. She works with Jeff Bezos. (sighs) She probably does know a lot. I bet she's just overworked. And doesn't get good bathroom breaks. You're right. She's not getting paid her full amount. She should join a union. Alexa got a full night of sleep, you know, and like maybe a day off. Yeah, I know you don't know that one. Or she joined a union and strike against Jeff Bezos. Just saying. Mm, I know. And then we'd start hearing about the new voice called Alex. Alex, I don't even know what the politics represent. I don't know. We can't. I don't know. Well, I mean, here's. I would have known this before internet. Here's the thing about politicians. Um, by the way, how mad are you gonna be if I go outside my room into the kitchen and make myself a tamale? Because I'm gonna. Funny, <laughs> that's so funny. It's like literally this. This interview is just the stages of Lily's drunkenness. <laughs> right (laughs) this is great um no but you know we are kind of just like derailing anyways um we this has been a good episode i'm gonna just end it do you do you want to uh plug anything don't want to hug anything plug anything plug anything to the six viewers um i have a separate instagram where i draw comics it's really fun and uh bunnies and sometimes they're mad about stuff okay well i will link it here cool and uh yeah no i mean thank you for coming on um 
I don't know if this episode's going to be a shit show or not, but I think it's going to be good. I really do. <laughs> I think it'll be fun. Yeah. I did. I do think we did touch on some like interesting things. So, you know, but but either way, you know, I guess I did have an ulterior motive because, you know, I wanted us to catch up and all that. So, <laughs> yeah, one stone. Um, but yeah, let's um, let's keep in touch. But thank you for doing this, you know. Yeah, absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, we'll do it again sometime or whatever. Yeah. For sure. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to ask me? Or we maybe we talked. Oh, what about would you tell? What would you tell? Okay, yeah. So we already did the goodbye. So as soon as you give this answer, I'm just going to end the recording. What would okay. you tell? Uh, knowing what you know now, what would you tell young Lily? Seventeen or uh, twenty? What would you tell twenty-year-old Lily that's still at Rice and still super? Uh, Journal- neurotic neurotic journalism focused and probably thinks she has all the answers what would you tell her i don't know just relate main just like relax like wait what relax what would you just say i said relax man in spanish oh okay <laughs> a restaurant funny? term like just it's fine relax it'll be okay like sleep a little relax yeah. What was it? What It'll was it you fine. said? What was it you said to me that you learned during quarantine? Oh, just sleep, that. bitch. I need a sleep, bitch. Yeah, you need a sleep, bitch. Is like you need a sleep, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, that's your mantra now, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I slept more today because I was like, you need to sleep more, bitch. <laughs> you gotta add the bitch in there. You need to sleep more. Yeah, I mean, the bitch is implied. It's like whatever I say, it's implied. I'm just like, hey, you should make this for breakfast bitch <laughs> <laughs> okay so if you're talking to 20 year old lily would she take that well <laughs> hey yeah bitch. it's fine yeah Please 20 year old lily would get it 20 year old lily would be more profane she'd be like oh hey you fucking dumb bitch why don't you do this the fuck is wrong with you 20 year old lily would have been so mean like 33 year old lily is like much yeah um more measured i guess so, so you just tell her to relax yeah, I mean, 20, would 20 year old Lily take that? No, she'd be like, fuck you, bitch. What the fuck do you know about anything? You're old and like have eye bags or whatever. I never liked you anyways. <laughs> right? You probably have gray hair by now, which I do. And it looks, oh. can't really see it. I've hidden it. So. I, I cannot see it. Yeah, I've got a few. I plucked some out, but it's like right here. So, I, all right. So just relax, young Lily, bitch. Yeah, sleep. I would say sleep, bitch. Okay, that's that's probably the best advice because you know I try to ask this on most episodes. It's like, what would you say to your younger twenty-year-old self? Uh Sleep, bitch. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I I think I absolutely need to sleep more. Like now and then. Me too. Yeah, maybe you should. I'm going to do that now. Right now? It's only 8.30. I mean, I mean, do you, man? You want to sleep at 8.30? Like, I ain't going to be mad. <laughs> like, <laughs> do whatever works for you. <laughs>